You all may be seated. All right, if you would open your Bibles to John chapter 11. If you're a guest with us today or online, just to let you know we have been in, last year we were in a study of the book of John and we took a break at the beginning of the year for about eight weeks. And when we had left off, we uh, last week jumped back into John and we started with John chapter 11 and we're continuing with John 11 verses 17 through 27. And uh, last week, if you recall, we, the, John chapter 11 is um, Jesus and, and getting ready to resurrect a guy by the name of Lazarus from the dead. And last week, we looked at um, the fact that Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were very good friends of Jesus. And um, Jesus was in another town, approximately 20 miles from where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they lived in a little town, a suburb, if you want to call it, of Jerusalem, called Bethany. And uh, when Lazarus was sick, very sick, they sent word to Jesus and saying, hey, he's sick. And last week, we looked at when you're facing painful circumstances, what do you need to know? All right. Well, we're picking up that story now in verse 17. And um, the first few verses, I'm just going to read through them. There's no applicational points, but I'm going to kind of apply these first few verses to last week. And then we're going to dive into really only two verses today. So if you would look at with me, John chapter 11, verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, meaning he came to Bethany from where he was, it says he found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, we got to stop there, because if you remember from last week, in verse 6, it says when Jesus received a message that Lazarus, his friend, was ill, Jesus didn't pack up bags with his disciples and say, let's go, boys. He stayed there for two more days. Now, you remember I said that he was only about 20 miles away, all right? And walking at a fairly brisk pace, you could probably do 20 miles in about five, six, max seven hours. So after the two days, it says that he finally said, let's go back. Let's go to Judea. Let's go back to Bethany. Now when he gets there, he realizes he had been dead now for four days. So after he heard the message, he stayed where he was for two more days. And guess what he did? Took two more days to go 20 miles. Remember last week's message I said, um, one thing, when you're going through painful circumstances, you got to know that the Lord knows what he's doing, all right? That he is master over every situation. How many of you believe that Jesus kind of knew what he was doing, all right? It wasn't like he just showed up four days later and I'm like, ah, guys, I'm sorry, man. I was really TikToking last night. He knew what he was doing, all right? And same goes for you and me. He knows what he's doing in your circumstances, and even though he's not showing up when you think he should or how he should or showing up where and it may be completely different the way you think and how you think. But he knows what he's doing. He's still sovereign and he's master over that situation. So if you look at verse 18, now let's continue on. It says Bethany was near Jerusalem. Like I said, Bethany was a little village, a suburb of Jerusalem. It was about two miles away and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha and they consoled them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he hadn't arrived at the house yet. She went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Now that's you and me right there. Okay? You're Mary or Martha. A lot of people are like, hey, you know what? I I'm going to go get to Jesus. And there are some people who just sit there and go, I'm not moving. And we cross our arms and like stamp our feet and like, well, whenever God shows up, I'll be happy then. All right. Martha's like, I'm, I'm going to go get Jesus. Look at verse 21. It says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Hey, let me ask you, do you ever pray that way? God, if you would have showed up, I wouldn't have lost my job. God, if you would have done this. My wife wouldn't have died of cancer. God, if you would have done this when I prayed, you know what? My kid would already be back. You ever pray that way? 
Let's just be honest. That do this. We all pray that way. Mary was just, or Martha was just very, very honest with Jesus. If you would have been here when I sent, we sent you word four days ago. If you would have just come, he wouldn't have died. But how many of you know Jesus knew what he was doing? Everybody say Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He hasn't lost it. Verse 22. But look what she says. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give to you. Do you see the faith, though? She's like, if you had showed up, he wouldn't have died. But I trust you. And I trust God. And whatever you ask God to do, I know he can do it. You see, that's the key when you're facing the finance, when you're facing the difficult and the painful circumstances. You can be raw with God. She was very raw with Jesus. If you would have been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. But can you get to that place? Can you get to Jesus? Be raw if you have to. But can you come back to the place and go, but I believe in you. I still trust you, God. You're still sovereign. You are master over this situation. And I still believe I know that you know what you're doing. Can you resolve that? And I said that last week. Can you settle that in your heart? That's where Martha was able to get to. In verse 23, it says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So Mary has a pretty good, you know, biblical sense about her. She has a pretty good theological mindset. She understands Old Testament teaching about the resurrection from the dead. But in verse 25, and this is where I'm going to sit for the rest of this message. In verses 25 through 27, she said, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I am going to camp on those few verses for the rest of this message. And I've entitled my message simply, Lord, Liar, or Lunatic. Because Jesus makes some very bold statements right there. All right? And so let's look at a few things that we can pull out of these first few, few verses. And here's the first thing on your outline there. I would encourage you to take some notes. And it's this. Jesus is either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. He's one of those three. All right? He's either Lord, telling the truth. Or he's not, and he's a liar, and he's a lunatic, all right? Because he makes some very bold statements here, and he begins right there from the get-go. I am the resurrection and the life. Notice the first three words, I am the. There's no middle ground here. There is no option B. He, I am the, all right? It's kind of like if you were to ever meet the owner of a, let's just say you met the owner of, of McDonald's, right? You know, I don't know, is there an owner of McDonald's? I don't know, all right? Let's just say you, you, you meet the owner of the business and, and he introduces himself, she introduces themselves and they go, I am the owner of this business. Now, would you respond by going, oh, it's a pleasure to meet you, so you're one of the owners. That's awesome. He'd be like, they'd be like, no, I am the owner. Well, it's you, but how many other owners are there? None. I am the owner. That's what Jesus is saying here. I am the resurrection and the life. He is making a very singular, exclusive, bold statement here. I am the resurrection and the life. Nobody else. Now, here's the thing. As we have gone through the book of John, he has made some other I am declarations. 
In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Nobody else. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Nobody else. In John 10, 7, Jesus says, I am the door to the sheep. Nobody else. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Nobody else. And now here he is again making a very clear, bold statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean? I mean, what are you talking about, Jesus? You're the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, what he is basic, no, not basically, what he is declaring is there's going to come a day that I will raise dead bodies out of the grave. They will come back to life and they will be with me with forever for eternal life. That's what he's declaring there. All right. In fact, that's not the first time Jesus has said this. In John chapter 5, verse 28, he says, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear my voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What? People will hear my voice, he says, and they will come out of the graves. How can that be? He's got to be either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. Because who's walking around saying this stuff? Just be honest. If you went to work, just pull this one tomorrow. See if people look at you like a cow staring at a new gate. I am the resurrection and the life. And I'm going to speak one day and people are going to come up out of the graves. They will call 911 because they know you've lost it. Nobody goes around saying that stuff unless you are Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. Jesus is making some bold and very strong declarations. But here's the thing. He's not done. He goes on. He says, I'm the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Again, bold what do you mean? How in the world, just because I believe in you, how can I never die? Jesus, that makes absolutely no sense. You're either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. Because everybody will die. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about physical death or physical life. He's talking about spiritual death or spiritual life. Because he says, whoever believes in me, even though you die physically, yet you shall live spiritually. He says, even whoever believes in me, whoever lives, like right now, you're living, will never die. How can that be? How in the world, what is he talking about? How in the world, what is all this? He's talking the difference between spiritual life, spiritual death. He's talking about the difference between eternal life and eternal death. He's talking about having eternal life with God forever or eternal life separated from God forever. He is distinguishing and talking about the difference between heaven and hell. Now, I know those are, we all like to talk about heaven. Even in church, we like to talk about heaven. But there's two topics in church nobody likes to talk about money and hell. Let's not talk about those. In fact, you, you listen to a lot of contemporary pastors today, those are two topics you'll never hear when they speak. But Jesus is getting real here. And the death and the life that he's talking about is spiritual life, spiritual death. And here's the thing. 
This is not the only place he says this. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. I mean, famous verse, everybody knows verse 16, but 17 and 18 are also very important. Jesus says in these verses, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, there it is again, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see the contrast? Not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world, condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. The contrast again, condemnation or salvation. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Do you see the contrast? Do you see that Jesus is like, there is spiritual life, there's spiritual death. There's eternal life, there's eternal death. There is condemnation, there is salvation. And it all hinges on him. And John, just, you can just write these verses down. They're not going to come up on the screen, but listen to these verses from the book of John. John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. John 5, 24, Whoever hears my word and believes has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. John 6, 40, Jesus says, he says, For this is the will of God, that everybody who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. John 6, 47, Jesus writes, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Jesus just keeps repeating this, and now here he is again with Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though you die... Yet shall you live. Why does Jesus keep talking about this? What's the big deal between life and death and spiritual life, spiritual death, eternal life, eternal death? Why do we need to make such a big point about this? Why does Jesus keep talking about this? Because it comes back to, if you just strip it all away, the bottom line for all of what Jesus talks about here is one little word. Sin. And sin makes everybody a sinner. Now, again, well, I guess you can add that word to the topics that people don't like to hear in church. Money, hell, and sin. All right? We want to go to church and just feel good and pat me on the back and pat me on the butt and send me back out. But Jesus is talking about spiritual life, spiritual death because of sin. Sin causes that. Sin is a real deal. It's a real issue. But the problem is um, we as people, humanity, we view sin from whose viewpoint? Ours. All right? So we boil sin down to not a big deal. It's just, well, I've made some mistakes in life. Yeah, I've, I've, done, I, I've, I've erred in life and I, I've done some bad things, but you know what? For the most part, I'm fairly okay. That's our viewpoint, all right? In fact, even today, most people don't even like to hear the word sin because here's the reality, here's the truth. A lot of people just think that sin is simply a religious word to be used to just judge people of their behavior. As soon as you say, oh, you're, you're sinning, have you ever heard people go, oh, you're just judging me? Because we're viewing it from our point of view. You see, this is why we can't view sin and what it is from our point of our perspective and our point of view because it's, it's so out of balance. We are so wrong in our view about what sin is. That's why we have to understand our view of sin is completely the opposite and out of balance the way God views sin. And that's how we got to view sin, is from God's perspective. You see, God doesn't view sin simply as, well, you've made some mistakes. God doesn't view sin simply as, oh, you, you've, you've erred now and then. You've done a few bad things. And you see, 
God views sin as something truly detrimental. We view sin as not a big deal. That's why we say things like this. In, view, in, in light of our sin, we as people say, oh, well, sure, I've done some bad things, but if I just do enough good things, my good will outweigh my bad, and then I'll go to heaven. That's how, because we view sin as not a big deal, that's why we can say that. When we view sin not as a big deal, we can all say, well, everybody goes to heaven. Only really, really, really bad people like Hitler go to hell. But everybody else goes to heaven. You see, distortion. We distort the view of sin. We don't understand it. We truly don't know what sin does. But God has a completely different view of what sin is and what sin does. If you have an outlet on your wall and it's live, who has a better viewpoint of what that outlet is and what it can do? A two-year-old or an adult? An adult. A two-year-old sees two holes in a wall and they've got a sharp knife and they're going to get ready to stick it in there. Are you as an adult go, oh, go ahead. You have an understanding of what's going to about to happen to you in about two seconds. Or are you grabbing the child and ripping them away from the wall and you're scolding them? Do not do that. Because you know, as a parent, if that child sticks that metal knife into that outlet, they're going to get electrocuted. Detrimental, detrimental out, uh, outcome of what is about to take place. You and I don't grasp what sin is. God says sin is more than just an error. It's more than just a mistake. It's more than just doing a few bad things. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that because of our sin, we are spiritually dead before God. No hope. Romans chapter 1 says that because of our sin, all of us are unrighteous before God. Romans chapter 3 tells us that because of our sin, that every single person is eternally separated from God. The Bible simply tells us that because of our sin, that we will be judged. Jesus even says people will be judged because of their sin. Sin carries detrimental results. Sin causes you and me to be completely broken to the core. This is why Jesus came to this earth and to die on a cross. Because you and I, and because we view sin wrong and think, well, I can just do good stuff. I can just be religious enough. I can just give to charity. I can get myself right before God. And the Bible makes it very clear, you cannot make yourself right before God. You can't be kind enough. You can't be good enough. You can't be generous enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't do anything to work your way before God and stand before him, show him your resume, and God will be impressed. That's why the book of Ephesians says that nobody will stand before God and be able to give their resume. You're not. Because you're only saved by faith in Christ. And not by works. Because no one's bragging before God. You see, this is why Jesus is declaring to Martha and to us today, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though you die physically, you will live forever. You see, Jesus is either Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. Number two. So, he's either a lord, he's either a liar, or a lunatic. And here's number two. I have to decide, is Jesus lord, a liar, or a lunatic? So Jesus makes this declaration to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. And whoever believes in me, though you die, you shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And when he says that, he simply says this to Martha. Do you believe this? Stop. 
Martha, here's who I am. And here's what I can do. And here's what will happen to people. So let me ask you a question, Martha. Do you believe this? I always wonder when Jesus asks a question like that, does he just pause and step back for effect? And just stand there. No prodding, no poking, no going, well, well, do you believe this? And I sat and wondered, how quick did Martha respond? I'm thinking she responded very fast. And so he says to her, do you believe this? And look at her response in verse 27. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe you. I believe in who you are. I believe what you're saying. I believe you are the resurrection and the life. I believe that if I believe in you, I'm going to die, I will live. I believe you. Now let's fast forward to March 5th, 2023. Jesus is saying this to you. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though you die, you shall live. And whoever believes in me, and if you live, you will never die. Do you believe this? I can't answer that for you. The person sitting next to you can't answer it for you. Guess who can only answer that for you? You. Do you believe what Jesus is saying? You see, this is in your ball court now. And you, personally, have to make a decision. Is Jesus the Lord? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Because the reality is, is this. If Jesus is a liar and he's a lunatic, you have nothing to worry about. We're all good, all right? Because if he's a liar and a lunatic, then he's just a religious leader. He's just a good teacher. He's just like Mohammed. He's just like Buddha. He's like every other Christian, Christian leader that's ever come around. He's no different from anybody else. And we, we can just believe that everybody says, oh, ever, it doesn't matter who you believe in or what you believe. All roads get to God. Well, let's just get on any road and let's get there because we're going to get there. If everybody goes to heaven, then why are we so bent out of shape on this? Why are we still coming? Why is there really? I mean, if Jesus is a liar, if he's a lunatic, let's just close the doors because we're all going to heaven. And we have nothing to worry about. But here's the thing. There is enough eternal evidence to tell us that what the Bible says is true and that what Jesus said is absolute truth. He is not a liar. He is not a lunatic. Guess what he is? He's Lord. And the words that he is saying is truth. And so you and I have got to understand Jesus is saying this because as Lord, he is trying to convince people what I am saying is true. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even when you die physically, you will never die spiritually. Do you believe this? Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, man, Jim, I hear you, but man, what is the big deal? I mean, why do we got to believe in Jesus? Why can't I believe in whatever? I mean, are, I mean, come on, let's just be real about this. Why, what's the big deal? Here's what the, what the big deal is. What you believe about Jesus will determine your eternal outcome. You see, the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us this. It's simple, and it's just one quick little verse. It is appointed unto man to die once, and then to judgment. Once you and I die physically, there is no, oh, we're like on Indy 500 and we can just pull into pit row, get our tires changed, get some gas fill up, get a little drink of the bottled water and get back into the race and try it again. No, 
there is no pit stop after death. There is nowhere to camp out. And hopefully people are praying for you enough, giving enough money to get you out of pit row back into the race. No. You are appointed onto death once. You die physically once. And once you breathe your last breath, it is to judgment time. And there is no other place to go. Your belief in Jesus determines one of two places. The first eternal outcome is what Jesus keeps talking about. Even though you die physically, you will never die spiritually. You will have eternal life. He keeps repeating this eternal life thing. He keeps repeating this thing about living forever and never dying. He's talking about spiritual life. He's talking about when you die physically that your spirit will be with him and with God forever in heaven. Now, just like I said, we really warp what sin is. Can I tell you, I think humanity does a poor job of describing heaven. I mean, do you ever see paintings of people like just lounging around on clouds with little naked baby angels floating around? I really hope that is not heaven because that will not be heaven. The Bible makes, and here's the thing. I truly believe, you can read, there are things about talking about heaven, but you don't really see a lot described about heaven. And here's why. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says this. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, the Bible doesn't describe what heaven's like because we can't get it. Paul says, your eyes haven't seen anything on this earth that will compare to heaven. Your ears haven't heard the best note, the best music, the best composition, or you haven't heard anything on this side of heaven compared to what you'll hear in heaven. Paul's like, your mind can't even begin to fathom. You can't dream it. You can't conceive it. On your best day, you can't think what heaven will be like. In Ezekiel chapter 1, it tells us that, it says that the heavens opened up and Ezekiel got to see visions of God. And for like the next 30 verses, he goes into describing what he sees. But the problem with Ezekiel is he sees something. He goes, I saw this thing and it was like. And he describes his vision to the only thing he can describe it to. It was like something on earth. But it wasn't. I I can't really tell you what it was because I've never seen it. I can't, I can't, I, I don't know. But here's what it was like. And then he has to transpose his thinking back to earth. Because what he's seeing blows his mind. And he can't begin to grasp what he's looking at. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 22, it says, You have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the city of God. It's the the dwelling place of God. It says, and you have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You can read about what that looks like in the book at the end of uh, Revelation. It says, you have come to innumerable angels in festival gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, meaning those who have, like, those who have been uh, born again, in the book of Revelation, talks about a, a, a book, the book of life. And, and so this is talking about you've been enrolled in heaven. He says, you've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I love that. This side of heaven, we are imperfect. When we get to heaven, you are made perfect. And you come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that is what you're getting ready to come to. And, and, and our minds can't begin to understand and fathom and what it, and, and so it's really sad when people are like, oh, here's what heaven looks like. Make some little baby, naked babies and float them around and like, this is so bad. We can't get it. And Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, that's what you're going to get. 
And your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, and your mind hasn't conceived what is prepared for you. But there's a flip side of the coin. Because Jesus doesn't just say there's eternal life, eternal life, eternal life. He also says those who believe do not believe in me. There's judgment. Those who do not believe in me shall die. Those who do not believe in me are condemned. Those who do not believe in me do not have eternal life. There is an opposite. And here's what we need to understand. If Paul says that our eyes, our ears, and our mind haven't, haven't even begun to understand what heaven's like, our eyes have not seen. Our ears have not heard. And our minds have not conceived what is prepared for those who do not love God. Loved ones, we truly do not, as we truly do not understand what heaven is like, we truly do not understand what hell is like. Just as heaven is a very real place, hell is a very real place. By Revelation describes hell as the second death. Now here's the thing. Even though Jesus talks about spiritual death, Revelation says it, it's the second death. It is not death. It, it, death the word death is just, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's symbolism to describe what it's like. You don't die. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9 says it this way. It describes hell as suffering punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Eternal destruction, not annihilation. You're not like just gone. You are away from the presence of God and his might eternally. Revelation 20 describes hell as a place of torment that will take place day and night forever and ever. The Bible describes hell as a place of utter darkness, gloomy darkness, pits of darkness. It is described as a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is a place where the thirst is never quenched. It is a place that is described where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. I don't know what that will be like. I can't begin to fathom what that, uh, what that means and what that... But people are going there. Forever. Now, one of the arguments that people say, well, I just don't believe that God sends anybody to hell. God is a God of love, and there's no way a God of love sends anybody to hell. God is not sending anybody to hell. Think of it this way. We have laws in our country. Our police, I mean, I know this is going down a bad road right now. But do police just show up at your door and throw you in jail, really, just for no reason? No. If you break the law, you, you drive 85 miles an hour in a 55 and you get a ticket, you, you commit murder, you steal, whatever it is, you, you, you break the law and you stand before the judge. And the judge looks at you and says, because you broke the law, I sentence you to this. Did the judge just automatically just pull you in and do that? Or is it because you broke a law and now you've got to suffer the consequence? It's because you broke the law. You did that. God is not sending anybody to heaven. He has provided a way out of it. I mean, God's not sending anybody to hell. He is providing a way out of it. Yeah, you're like, what do you mean God's not sending anybody to heaven? <laughs> Martha, we're going to another church, man. 
I'm glad I said that. Lighten up, the, lighten up this atmosphere for a second. God is not sending anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. Because Jesus has made the declaration, the bold statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, whoever puts their faith in me, whoever trusts me for their life, whoever comes to me and says, Jesus, be my savior. Even though you die physically, you will live forever. But anybody who refuses to believe in me, anybody who says, I don't need to trust in you, Jesus, I'm going to trust in my own way. I don't need to believe in you, Jesus. I believe I'm good enough. I don't need you in my life, Jesus. I'm okay. I'll get to God my wounds. Even though you die physically, you will die spiritually. That is not because God is picking people randomly going, hope you're going to heaven. Um, 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 Devon, you're going to go to hell. No. He has opened up heaven for everybody. The only way you get to heaven is saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I decide what you say is true. You are the Lord. But if I make the decision, the personal decision, I make the choice to say, Jesus, I will not trust in you. I do not believe that you are the only way then I'm sealing my own fate. The Bible, Jesus, is telling us the way out of hell and telling us the way to heaven. It is believing in him. And so let me ask you, is Jesus Lord, liar, or lunatic, you have to decide. And then lastly, deciding to believe in Jesus means confessing him as your savior. If I make the decision to say, Jesus, I, I, I believe that Jesus, what he's saying is real, man, I, I, then I got to confess him as my savior because now... So Jesus says to Martha, here's who I am. Here's what I, what's going to happen. Do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe. She says, I believe that you are the, not you are a. You are the Christ, meaning you are the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one. She goes, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God who is coming into the world. There's no middle ground with Martha here. She is making a very singular statement just as Jesus made the singular statement. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am this. I am this. And she's like, you are that. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God who has come into this world to save people. I believe in you. And she confessed that to him. She made a public confession. She made a verbal confession. Jesus, this is who you are. She didn't go, oh, I believe because we're friends. I believe because I've seen you feed 5,000 people. No, I believe you because you are this. You are the savior of the world. And loved ones, guess what? Just as the question is, do you believe this is at you? Do you believe it and are you, have you confessed it? Have you come to the place that you confess Jesus? You see, the book of Acts chapter 4 tells us this. Chapter 4, verse 12 of Acts says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No one else, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Hare Krishna, nobody, not Joseph Smith, nobody, one name. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's the only way you and I are saved. And the only way that happens is when you and I confess him. And the book of Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth 
that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, if you flip that, if you do not confess him with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you do not believe him in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will not be saved. But it goes on, it says, for with your heart, one believes and is justified and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So if you confess Christ as Savior, you're saved. If you do not confess Christ as Savior, not saved. You see, I believe a lot of people have a lot of misunderstanding about how to get to heaven. Here's the reality. There's a lot of people thinking, I'm going to heaven because I was baptized as a baby. So because I was baptized as a baby, I'm good to go. I don't need anything else. There's a lot of people who think, well, I've taken communion. I'm going to heaven. There's a lot of people who sit in churches every single Sunday thinking they're going to heaven. Jesus is going to look at people, and there are going to be people who will look at Jesus and go, hey, didn't I not do this, and did I not say these things, and did I not go here? And He's going to look at people and go, I never knew you. How could that be? Because there are people who think they're religious, who think they're a Christian, but here's the reality, have never confessed him. There's people thinking, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm okay. My mom and dad were Christians. I'm okay. There are people who grew up in a Christian home and have continued to go to church thinking they're okay, but have never in their life had a conversion story. You should be able to look at your life and backtrack to a point. You may not know the exact day or month, year, whatever, but there should be a moment in your life where you can go, you know what, I remember when I asked Jesus into my life. I remember when I walked down the aisle. I remember when I prayed with a friend. I remember when I watched Billy Graham on TV. I remember when I said, Jesus, you are the Savior of the world, and I am a sinner. And Jesus, I am going to hell because I've been thinking I can get myself right, and I can't. And Jesus, I need you. You are the Savior of the world, and I need you to be my Savior. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Savior. I'm telling you, the Bible makes it very clear. You've got to confess Christ. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you are a believer in Jesus Christ. A believer in Jesus Christ, to truly believe in Christ, means that first song that we, or the second song we sang. I surrender it. I surrender my will to your will. I surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, here it is. You take it. And now from that point, it's God working in you, changing you, doing. But if you have never confessed Christ, you are not saved. It is with the heart you believe, and it is with the mouth that you confess. Jesus is Lord, and God raised him from the dead, and I believe that he is the resurrection and the life. And if I believe in him, even though when I die, I know I shall live forever because he is my Savior. I can't make it any more clear than that. Jesus makes it very simple. And he's saying it to you today. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you will believe in me today, even though when you die, you will live. Do you believe this? Have you responded like, like Martha? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Savior. I believe you are the Son of God who's come into this world to save people like me. I can't make you confess Christ. Your spouse, your best friend, your neighbor, the person sitting next to you cannot make you confess Christ. Do you want to know something? God himself will not make you confess Christ. That's why Jesus asked Martha, 
Do you believe this? Yes or no? That's where you sit today. Let's pray. If you would, just bow your head with me. Don't be closing up your Bible. Don't be like, oh, man, we're getting out of here. It's time for lunch. This is time for serious moment. The Bible makes it very clear, loved ones. And I'm not saying this to guilt you. I'm not trying to put some kind of trip on you or anything. I just want, to, I just want you to be very real about where you are spiritually because I don't know the condition of your heart. Only you and God does. The Bible makes it very clear. You and I don't have tomorrow's promise to us. You don't have the next heartbeat. At any moment, God could say, give me back my breath. You don't have the next moment. You have this moment. And you heard the gospel very clear this morning. That Jesus came into this world to die for sinners. And every one of you sitting in this room is a sinner because you have done something wrong. You have broken the law of God. Even if you just had the Ten Commandments, you've broken at least one of them, which makes you a lawbreaker, and you will stand before the judge. But the judge has given you a way out of the sentence, and that sentence, that way out, is through Christ. If you have never, if you have never confessed Christ as your Savior, whether you've sat in this church or another church maybe for years, and you've just gone, been going through the motions of pretending, but you've never bowed your knee to Jesus never surrendered your life truly to him never have confessed him Jesus come into my life and be my savior you have that opportunity right here right now and I would implore you as Paul says in the book of first book of first Corinthians I implore you on behalf of God be reconciled to God if that is you, you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Would you just raise your hand? Because I want to pray with you. I want to make sure that you're leaving the day secure, knowing that you have eternal life. Would that be anybody in here today? Because I want to make sure you won't stand before Jesus and he would say, I never knew you. Today you can know. We're going to sing this last song. And I just want you to stay seated. I'm not going to worry about standing, but here's what I want. As we sing this last song together, if you don't know Christ, come up here and pray with me. Don't be embarrassed about if people look at you. If you need, if you need to turn to someone and say, hey, would you go with me? Ask someone to come with you. Because this is the most important moment of your life right now. So as we just sing this last song, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just keep working in people's hearts, that your word that went forth, that it would be a seed that's being planted on people's hearts right now. And that, if, Lord, if there's anybody who needs you, that you would draw them, and that they would humble themselves and say, Jesus, I need you. So let's just sing this song together. <laughs>